0: Hey everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the Tennis Section podcast. I'm very excited to join you again with my co-host and uh, co-founder of Tennis Section, Andrew. Um, you know, it's been a very exciting time starting the podcast and we really appreciate it with your support. You know, the Instagram's been growing and everyone seems to be really engaged with the podcast, leaving good feedback and sending in your questions to create that, the these te- this tennis discussions that we really want to get into. But yeah, as I said, joined by Andrew today. Hey guys, glad to be here again. Um, we've had some amazing tennis
1: and some crazy results over the past few days, as you all know, and we're here to discuss it, answer your questions and
0: preview the finals coming up. Yes, definitely. It's been it's been crazy. I think if you would have given me the best odds in the world, if you if you would have told me, Liam, you know what, put £10, 10 pounds down, $10 down, and this, this, that, that's going to happen in this week of Roland Garros, I would have been like... I'll put 10 pounds down, but that's never going to happen, you know?
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: and I, I would have been a multimillionaire by now, you know? Uh, I would have, would have been on a, on a beach in Barbados, retired. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> trying no, man, trying to been... learn how to beat Andrew on court.
1: <laughs> it's, it's been incredible, man. So many things happened this week that you would never believe, you know? It's not even one or two things, you know? It seems like every day there's something
0: new and a new twist to the story. I know it's yeah. it's well you know, we discussed a lot of it in 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 the the episode that we published on Wednesday, but even even you know today and yesterday in the women's it's been it's been a great day. It's been a great last few days in the tournament. So yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, the the big thing in the room is obviously the Nadal Zverev match. Um, I watched it you know periodically. I didn't watch it completely every single point. I was uh, I was busy but I watched the, I basically rewatched it uh, on Eurosport and my goodness it was it was tight from start to you know finish uh, in parentheses um what what were your thoughts watching it live andrew i mean it's
1: it's one of the best matches i've seen recently you know i mean hard to call it a match it's only it was only just under two sets you know but it was still 3 hours plus mm. and so many twists and turns in that match i mean i still don't understand how Zverev wasn't two sets to love up when the injury happened you know but yeah uh, hard to count Rafa out on clay and especially at Roland Garros as we've seen time and time again and even more so today
0: yeah i think i think Zverev really had the the match in his hands especially you know with it being with it raining in paris today thunderstorms roof was closed so the ball just was a bit flatter through the courts, you know yeah. so obviously helped Zverev a bit more than Nadal you would think of you You would think from the start of the match but yeah from the get-go Zverev looked, looked great but you know the crowd and Nadal just seemed to find their way back into it and in that in that first set tiebreak, you know coming back from 6-2 down had a few amazing passing shots from Rafa which really was able to, to steal him the first set from Zverev you know Zverev should have won that first set but he didn't and you know you it seemed like it it did affect him mentally starting the second going to break down straight away and then you know going again and down a break after he re-broke Nadal but then it just seemed like the second set was you know gifting each other a break continuously
1: Agreed, agreed. And I mean, I know we've all said that um, Zverev has had issues closing matches out and with pressure and so on. And mm. But you still would never imagine him to lose from a set from 6 to up in the tiebreaker, you know, um, despite everything that Nadal was throwing at him. Mm. You know, um, he recovered well from losing the break in the first set when he had it in the bag, you know. And as you said, he was a little bit wobbly to start the second. But I was impressed with him coming back to break again. You know, granted, he gave his serve right back and, and broke again. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I was very impressed that he didn't just fold. Like yeah. you and I discussed it earlier, you know, we thought that, or I certainly thought that after losing that first set in that fashion, he'd have just crumbled in the next two, you know, but he he did put up a great fight. And we said it in the last podcast, for him to win this match, he would have to take the ball early. He would have to try to dominate, mm-hmm. you know, conditions would have to be in his favor. And you could see Rafa was not happy early on with the balls. And he was. I, I saw him a few times complaining to his box. He's saying the balls are huge, you know, so he was rattled, you know, and Zverev played a fantastic match. And I mean, other than the the odd games where he kind of lost his cool a bit, but really sad to see it end that way. Looking forward to another fantastic tiebreaker and two more sets, maybe three.
0: Yeah, I think uh, looking, the the first set should have been Zverev's, as we said, but in, in the second, I think it was, but both players were playing great but also subpar at the same time they were returning okay. amazingly you know they were putting the pressure on the server but they just weren't strong enough on their serve you know Zverev has these huge serves but he showed the frailties of his second serve in that second set when the pressure is really on we haven't seen much of the second serve issues this tournament, neither in the last few tournaments from Zverev you know the, the last year hasn't been you know you know the second serve Zverev, has been fine for the last year but yeah Today it just seemed under the pressure moments, double faults came into play. Slow second serves were thrown into the court. Nadal could hit a good winner back or something like that, and uh, and yeah, that's that's what really cost him having sort of an easier advantage over Nadal, and then eventually the tight moments led to unfortunately you know the big cat in the room that he uh, he got injured. You know it was a when when I first saw him fall down, I I honestly thought, oh, it was just a tumble and he's, he's dirtied his clothes and he's going to have to, you know, trying to wash his hands and set his, his, uh, his brain right to start the tie break. But then you just heard the scream and you were like, okay, this is really bad.
1: Yeah, I agree. I didn't think much of it like you did, you know, when he first fell. But as soon as I heard the screaming and I saw his face, you know, and how he was rolling around in the court, I knew that was it. You yeah. know, I knew, I knew that there was no hope of him returning to the match, despite, you know, myself and everyone else wanting that. You know, and I, unfortunately, I'm not a doctor, but it, this looks like a, a multi-week, pro- possibly multi-month absence for him, which is yeah very unfortunate, you know, because as we were discussing last time, you know, the rankings and everything is set up in his favor. Mm. Over the coming weeks, you know, he had a fantastic opportunity, you know, I mean, who knows, he may have gone on to win this match and this tournament, mm. you know, and, and clinching the number one for the first time. Uh, a bit unlikely, but given how today it played could, it out, it you could know, have he certainly could have won, yeah.
0: Yeah, it could have. It definitely could have been a possibility. I think. I think I was. I was watching Eurosport, and uh, I think it was Mats Verlander or something. This he said uh, that there's been rumours that something is broken in the in the ankle or or there is a fracture somewhere. Um, So this is definitely not a speedy, you know, recovery. It's not. It's not swollen. It's not just swollen. You know, it's not something he can recover from in a couple weeks' time. This is going to, I think, put him out of Wimbledon. I don't think he will be playing there. Um, And then I think his plan will probably be to come back in time for, you know, the big tournaments in the U.S. and, uh, you know, Canada and stuff. Um, I think he'll
1: be lucky to make it back by the U.S. Open, to tell you the truth, you know, because I do do think, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor, but I mean, I, I would believe that if it was anything other than something severely bad, that he would have at least tried to come out and play a couple more points, you know, but he obviously got some bad news as soon as he went into the room. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it,
0: it could have It could have been also something where, you know, it is bad, but um, he doesn't want to make it worse, you know? Yep. It's a situation. Still, I
1: mean, in a, still in a Grand Slam semi with a, a real chance of winning and get, getting to the final, you know, you kind of put logic to the side at, at a time, you know, and... I don't know. That's what I would have done in his position. You know, if I got anything, <laughs> if I got anything other than terrible news, you know, I was going back out there maybe for a point yeah. or two to see what could happen, yeah. you know, but you know, he, he, he couldn't, even couldn't put you, you, any could tell, pressure you could tell he yeah. couldn't
0: put any pressure on that foot. He even, even when, you know, I was looking when, when they put him in the wheelchair and they had to lift his leg, his right leg, because he couldn't move it. It it just showed you how much it hurt and how how much pain he was in, which is, you know, putting Zverev, you know, if he's your favorite player or your least favorite player aside, uh, you don't like him, you like him, whatever. You don't want to see uh, a great player lose like that and potentially lose a fair few months of a very important season for him like that. Um, Absolutely. We've seen what happened to team with his wrist and, you know, that that's, not nearly as bad as what Zverev's going to go through if this is a if something's actually broken here you know and you 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 can see how hard it is for him to get back into his groove and find his his game so you really hope that this doesn't take Zverev out for too long and that if he does come back from a from a lengthy sort of recovery process that he he doesn't he doesn't have those sort of issues of being afraid of playing his best or moving around the courts because of you know the possibility of re injuring himself.
1: Uh, absolutely. And the ankle is always a tricky one, you know, just like your elbow and, and your wrist. As mm. with team, you know, you're going to come back and you're, there's going to be some fear of putting weight on it and moving as you used to, you know, going side to side. I mean, especially if he comes back and plays on clay again, you know, like, is he going to want to slide? You know, I'm sure he's going to be tentative yeah. earlier on and it's tough. And I mean, and we're just wishing him the best. And hopefully, I'd say best case a couple of weeks, but I think that's hugely optimistic. But we'll see in the coming days what the reports are saying.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. If, you know, we all hope it'll be the, the best news possible. Like, oh, OK, I'll be recovered in time by Wimbledon or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look likely at the moment. But, you know, uh, Nadal's into his uh, 14th final here at the French Open, 13-0 currently in, in the final um, so that's that's great news for Nadal fans. Uh, obviously, he would have wanted to win it on merits, fully on merit. Then, um, then you know, through a retirement. But you know, you can't take anything away from him. He beat Djokovic in the tournament. He beat Felix Auger-Aliassime. He won the first set from Zverev in, in clutch fashion. Um, so he he didn't he he didn't have a cake walk through the tournament so far. Um, but yeah, and uh, he he set up to meet. Uh, Kasper Ruud, who who came back from a set down against Marin Cilic. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I only saw the first two sets of that match, and Cilic came out firing again. You know, he was Mm. having an unbelievable tournament, and I thought, here we go again. You know, I wouldn't have thought that he could have beaten Ruud today, but if he played like how he's played through the early rounds of this tournament, you know, he's been playing lights out, and he started the same way. Um, But I, I do think it was a combination of him just running out of gas and just, Finally, everything's stopping to click, you know. Yeah. He, he literally was in another zone and on another level than we've seen from him over the past few seasons. And fantastic result to him reaching the semis. But Ruud is the better player on clay, you know. Yeah. He, he has the kind of all-court game that is effective on it. You know, I don't know if he's going to have enough <laughs> firepower to trouble Rafa, you know. But you're in a final, you know, you're younger, you're a bit fresher, you know. Anything could happen. But yeah, man, it... can't can't put anyone other than Rafa as a favorite here. But we'll see what happens on Sunday.
0: Yeah, I I would say the same. But the 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 Cilic, uh, Rude match was was quite interesting. Yeah, he came out firing. Chilich, he just looked like returning the ball early, deep, hitting the lines continuously, taking time away from Casper, basically not allowing him to to try and get the ball back here with some spin and some height. But um, one thing that really changed the match, I think, uh, in favor of Rude was. You know, Chilich on clay, on, on any surface, is really a one-two puncher. Big serve, big forehand. Um, here, he was trying to take time away from Ruud, so he was coming into the, to the court more, coming more towards the net, which then led Ruud to try and, you know, uh, lob him, hit some nice passing shots. And my goodness, I don't think I've ever seen Chilich hit so many unforced errors into the net on lobs. The the guy yeah. could not the guy could not hit a smash all match. I think he might have won three smashes the entire match, and they were the like the they were very slow smashes, him really trying to not miss them. But he missed about ten long and into the net. It was crazy, and I think that really hurt the rest of his game because he was then afraid to come in and just miss, you know. And then in a baseline rally against Kasper Ruud on clay, I don't think Chillish is going to win, you know, most of them, which, which we saw.
1: Agreed. And a, a lot of credit goes to Ruud, you know, for being patient and sticking to his plan. You know, after mm. that first set, you know, things were unraveling pretty quickly, you know, but he stayed focused. He didn't get too upset, you know, stuck to the plan, remained consistent and it worked out for him. But yeah. the the guy who must be kicking himself the most is Sitsipas, you know. <laughs> hate to hate to bring it up again, you know. But if I was him, I wouldn't even be watching the French Open anymore, you know, because he he must be kicking himself to see Casper Rud in the final. Really a golden opportunity, and against Rafa in this condition, you know, who knows? Still Anything's would be possible. still would be the big underdog, Sitsipas going into it, you know. But if you're ever gonna beat Rafa at the French Open, it's now, you know, yeah. when he's thir- thirty six. Struggling with injuries this year, a couple of tough matches under his belt. Who knows, you know? And <laughs> unbelievable, but stage is set for a really good final on Sunday. I think I think we all will agree that Rafa has a huge edge, but Ruud is a good enough player that it's going to be a very interesting final.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a, a fun a fun watch. And I, as you said, City Pass is just this was the year for him to try and get redemption for last year. You know. He made yeah. the final last year, two sets to love up. I think anyone with any sort of tennis knowledge at the, at the start of the tournament said, Tsitsipas passes in the final, guaranteed. But, yeah. um, you know, he lost and it set the stage perfectly for, for Kasparud. According to the statistics, Kasparud's won the most matches on clay, most titles on clay, most uh, finals on clay, most, you know, just best performances in terms of numbers on clay since 2020 out of everyone and although the titles haven't been the biggest one they've been like 250s and stuff like that he has won the most matches on clay so far since 2020 Mm -hmm. so it's it's definitely deserved um definitely deserved and you wouldn't you wouldn't have said let's say like a month and a half ago that caspar Ruud will be in the final of the french open looking at how he'd played in monte carlo rome madrid uh, mm-hmm. and you know other atp 250 tournaments and stuff like that but i think the win in geneva really boosted his confidence coming into the tournaments and you know coming through a few tough matches against like lorenzo Sonego and stuff like that really just got him back into his groove and yeah it'll, it'll be a great final um right
1: exactly and he's been super consistent even at the bigger events you know i think he had a streak of what is it four or five semis in a, in the masters 1000s event mm. you know and it it from from what i see you know it couldn't happen to a nicer guy i know hal Garoon and his his team might disagree i heard they had some sort of disagreement in the in the locker room did you hear about that one
0: <laughs> yeah i, you know? I heard, I heard. <laughs>
1: but he, he seems like a nice guy you know he's always polite on court you know he i like his attitude always positive you know big fighter you know and i like his game you know small guy but huge game takes the ball early not afraid of a challenge you know i really do like his game
0: yeah yeah he's uh he's definitely he as as we know he's from the rafa Nadal school of tennis <laughs> that, oh yeah that's where that's where he's from he he, he trained at the rafa Nadal academy he hits the big forehand with lots of topspin tries and gets the sort of curve on it to make people struggle with the height and the, the the sort of weight of the shot, um which will which will definitely help him in in most tournaments on clay um but going up against you know the master of it the the guy who you know he's looked looked up to his entire life is going to be tough but it's going to be interesting i'm just having a look at the the rankings and uh, yeah currently in the live rankings kasper roods number sixth in, in the world right now um, based on his uh, on his final um, and if he wins the final he he'll, he'll get an extra I think 800 points but that will still keep him number six in the world uh, whilst Nadal okay. is, gonna, is is up to, to fourth in the world and he's going to stay there um, I believe uh, I believe he's going to stay there even if he does win the final um, because Verev is a few hundred points ahead of him.
1: Okay, and since you've got the rankings um open there, um, what does it do for Cilic's ranking? Where would he be at now?
0: He is uh he's top twenty. He's back in the top twenty now. He's number seventeenth okay, nice. in the world. So you know that that's, okay. that that really sets him up nicely for for you know bigger tournaments where seeding really matters. Um, you know I I remember about a year ago or so he wasn't even ranked in those tournaments. He was you know. Uh, he, he didn't have a seed so he he really will appreciate that um going into these tournaments yeah uh, and
1: he loves the grass also you know so he's going to take this confidence into it and hopefully some more good results there
0: very true but um another f- crazy thing that happened today uh that protester that came onto the court during the uh, rude chillich match yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't see that part but i've
1: seen all the videos everywhere is blowing up about it you know you know i, I heard she what was it that she tied her, her uh, herself her neck, to the net? Yeah. And, yeah, and then s- glued her hand to the net pole. Oh, wow. You know, I, I didn't uh, know about
0: the glue <laughs> part. Oh, Jesus.
1: Yeah, yeah, I read that after. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, for one, didn't know what the protest was about, even after reading her shirt, you know, but I guess it got me to do the research, which is probably what she wanted. Yeah, you know, and I think you know more about that than I do. <laughs> I think you were yeah, looking it up a while
0: ago. It, it was it was something to do with the the UN sort of climate change report or something to do with climate emissions. Um, but yeah, the French crowd were just not having it, any of it. They I, I don't think they cared what she had to say or what she was wearing. She just there yeah. there were just boos and boos and boos, and you know, understandable. It's it's uh it's a tennis event. People want to watch a great match. They don't want to be disrupted. The play the players, you know you know casper was cruising at that point and you it know, did rattle him yeah it did rattle him a little bit he eventually did find his groove again but um you know it could have really changed the outcome of the match um but yeah it was crazy and it it, it brings us into discussion a, a bigger topic of you know the security at these tournaments need sometimes could be better um you know, we've seen in the past, you know, like, like with Monica Sellers, when, when she got stabbed just at the change of ends, yeah. Got stabbed while sitting down. And, you know, obviously nowadays at tournaments, you know, you have to have, you need to go through these metal detecting things, all the bags are searched and all that stuff. But, you know, this, there, there can always be a crazy person doing something crazy and dangerous. And we've seen in the last few, in, in this year, people coming onto court and stuff, and that really shouldn't happen.
1: No, I agree. It's unbelievable, you know, and luckily this time it was a peaceful protest, you know, but what Mm. if it wasn't, you know, what if it was a crazy guy just, I mean, obviously it's unlikely that they'd be able to bring weapons into the venue, you know, but what if it's a crazy guy just smashes one of the players with a bottle Mm. or something, you know, very possible. So it was very worrying to see, but... I don't know why she chose that match to protest. You know, I guess she got her schedules mixed up because she would have gotten a lot more mileage if she did it in the Rafa Zverev match. You no, know, I don't think many people were watching the second one. So
0: yeah, I, she, she would have definitely, uh, she would have definitely uh, a lot got more, a more TV views as well. Exactly. Oh, yeah. she, she would have made a bigger name for herself if it was during the Zverev Nadal match. Um, but Yeah. That, that would uh, be interesting to see if there, if, you know, the slams and bigger tournaments bring in more security measures to sort of prevent these things happening because, you know, n- tennis is growing. Not, not you know, tennis has always been big and, you know, the, the fan base has been amazing. But I think over the last year or two, the, it's been growing stratospheric levels and I'm sure it's going to grow even more when, when the Netflix show comes out next year. Um, so there's obviously going to be more fans and there's going to be more possibilities of stuff like this happening. So it'll be interesting to see, like, You don't really see it in other sports like Formula One or something because they know that they'll probably get run over by accident. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But But in tennis, uh, you know, it's it's quite easy to get on court and you know see a player. There's there's no barriers or anything to to stop you from doing so. Um, It's certainly
1: very worrying for sure. I mean, I I would not like that at all if I was a player. You want to be close to the fans, but you don't want things like that to be possible. Yeah. Well, exactly. it's gotten better recently but still clearly not good enough especially at a major
0: mm, exactly it's it's worrying but you know thankfully it was a peaceful protest as we as as we said earlier um moving on to the women's you know the final tomorrow slash today whenever you're listening to this podcast um we have a uh, coco golf against the Iga Swiatek. uh I-, I it's you know the two best players of the tournament are meeting uh which which is great to see and uh, it's going to be de- it's definitely going to be an interesting one, I think.
1: No, fully agree, and I agree with you that they've been the two best players in the tournament. You know, and two very exciting young players. Um, breakthrough for Coco Golf. You know, mm. she was the next big thing for the last what four or five years, maybe. You know, fun, <laughs> despite her only being eighteen, <laughs> you know, and really nice to see her in a final, despite coming up against a huge favorite. But you know, anything can happen. You know, she was Sfiontech was tested by Zheng the nineteen yeah. year old in earlier in the tournament so anything can happen in a final right and oh and Coco's on fire she won the double semifinal earlier today and now is in the singles final so you know she's been playing well she's gonna be excited to be in her first slam final and anything can really happen
0: yeah, it's. It's 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 been a great week, well, great two weeks for her. Realistically, you know, last year we had Barbara Kvitka Kritch- uh, winning both the singles and the doubles, and we could have that the same the same this year with with Coco Golf. You know, she's in the final with Jessica Begula, uh in the doubles, even though they are playing against the uh, the and Garcia. You know, the two French women. Uh, so the crowd is definitely going to be very partisan there. Um, so she's more likely to get some support from the crowd in the singles than in the doubles. Um, yeah, as you said, anything can happen in this final. I think uh, Iga's been amazing. You know, everyone's seen her as a shoe in for the title realistically, but coco has got nothing to lose here. Um, it is her maiden Brandslam final, but she's kept saying she doesn't really care. She said if she wins, doesn't she doesn't think it will change her life much. She, she's still going to be who she is. Uh, and if she loses, it's going to be the same thing. I think she's, she's set her, her mindset correctly uh, in the last few months. And... It's great to see. So uh, I'm excited to see who wins there. Um, but you know, it's it's great to see these young these young girls, you know, making a name for themselves and really stepping up to the plate in women's tennis. We need we need big personalities, big names, big stars in women's tennis to sort of bring it back to the levels that it used to be. I think. Yeah, agreed.
1: I think this is going to be a fantastic match. You know, Coco is a player that I've followed for quite a while. You know, and I really i have been impressed even when she burst onto the scene at 13 14 whatever it was you know she seems so mature and doesn't get rattled you know not afraid of the big courts the big moments you know she had that run to the what was it Wimbledon quarters I think it was
0: a few years ago
1: yeah and you know she she's has such a positive and such a good mindset you know I really enjoy watching her and Svantec has been my favorite player over the past couple of years on the WTA tour you know she has everything you know and you and I joke about how she plays like a man and we don't mean physically necessarily, you know, but just she, she's got that mentality. She's not afraid to go for her shots, even under pressure. You know, she mm. goes big on both sides, doesn't always struggle with the pressure like we see pretty often on the WTA tour at times, you know, and I I really do like her game. And I, uh, Svantec is the huge favorite, but it's a final. She's not hugely experienced either, um, despite having the... French Open title and a resume already, you know, and she's only 21. Anything can happen. And Zhang showed that earlier in the tournament. So Coco will definitely take some heart from that. And as you said earlier, she's fearless, right? She's going to go for it no matter what. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think, as you mentioned, the, the great thing about Iga has been that she's been consistent, you know, the, the, the WTA tour has struggled with the consistency in the last few years where, you know, back in the day you had Sharapova, the Williams sisters, uh, you, you know, you had Anjali, Angie Kerber, like all these, all these players who were consistent most of the year, you know, they could maintain that level. But over the last few years, we've seen a lot of players, you know, peak and then after they peak, they just lost everything. Um So yeah. it's been, it's been great to see Iga, you know, be consistent and, and she's shown that if you are consistent, you can win amazing titles continuously so it'll be great to see if she can you know win again here in paris or if we have a new star in town who's also you know poised to be the next big thing in american tennis and you know she's she's still like so young um but yeah who, who would you say is your pick though, for that women's final uh,
1: you can't go away from Svantek, you know and I, I like your point about her being consistent not very often that we can have seen a double w- Boutier player be this consistent and can consistently be called a favorite, especially in these big matches. You know, it seems to be someone coming out of nowhere. They last for a few months and then they fade away, you know, but she's been on this streak now and she has to be considered the favorite. Uh, what's her streak at now? Is it 35? I believe five matches in
0: a row. I think it's 34 or 35, something in that range. But you know, as we, as we said a couple of podcasts ago, like once, once you're above 20, <laughs> there's no need to count
1: anymore. Yeah, she's got a while to go before she equals the record. You know, I know the they've been talking about her equaling Venus Williams's record of 35 in a row, but that's only the open era. You yeah. know, Mar- Martina Navratilo, I think, won 74 matches back in 84, or 85, oh, wow. which, is, which is insane, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's singles and doubles. I think it's only singles, and I can't even imagine that. What is that, like 11, 12 tournaments in a row? without losing so that
0: that's that's that yeah that's crazy <laughs> at any I level think, you know junior level that's amazing I don't think Iga so. would ever get to that you know she's an amazing player and everything but you know 74 wins in a row I think that's 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 too too hard to do nowadays um it's it's going to be it, she basically had to go into undefeated the entire year Um yeah pretty much if if she if she wanted to reach that but yeah, I, I would agree with you on on Iga being the favorite here uh, for the title. I think. What do you put in Coco's odds at? I mean, I think I think Coco can get a set. Okay. I don't think it's going to be an eager, you know, six one, six two, as we always see in her, in her matches. You know, a bagel, you or semis. Yep. A bagel or a breadstick or something like that in in the match. I don't I don't think it'll it'll be like that. I think it's going to be the tightest match she's had all year, other than the. The Zheng first set. Uh yeah. I think it'll probably be like a 4-6 4'6, 6'2 for Zviatek or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I
1: think I do think Coco has a better chance of winning than Kasparu does. So I'd put it around yeah. maybe, maybe 25-30%. Yeah. 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 It's, but def- I, it,
0: it's definitely a tight match.
1: Could go three. I'd put my uh, my pick would be two tight sets.
0: Mm, yeah i mean anything can happen in that match i wouldn't be shocked any result that comes out of it um as long as it's an entity as long as long as we get to see both players playing their best tennis at the same time i'm happy i mm-hmm. don't want to see a match where one player dominates one set one player dominates the other set and then one player dominates another set i want i want to see both of them fighting at the same time being at their best because that's that's what creates the best matches you know um yeah and one
1: thing's for sure this won't be the last time that they're meeting in a grand slam final
0: oh yeah yeah I, I think you know they coco's still young uh so people might say oh it's her first one she you know can she handle the pressure and stuff but she's she's gonna be a superstar uh for many years to come and, and ego's shown shown us that she can be consistent and she she can be the leader and the face of the wta tour. So there's there's no doubt in my mind that they will meet again after this final. Um and, and put on a show for the fans. but yeah, so we were both on consensus that Iga should win the final, but you know don't don't take you know don't don't sue us if uh, if she doesn't guys uh, but moving on to the the men's again uh yeah, I think i'll go I'll go first with my pick. Many I've spoken to people and they, they said oh on a Dallin four or something like that. I really think this is going to be easy for Rafa. I think this is going to be Nadal and free.
1: I agree. I, I don't see a scenario where he loses a set here, you know, obviously mm-hmm. anything can happen and not discrediting Rude at all, you know, but this is a final, you know, and um, we've seen how hard it is to win a set against Nadal, you know, Zverev couldn't do it today and he had three set points, three, four set points yeah. in a row in that tiebreaker, you know, and I don't think Rude is going to get the same kind of opportunities. You know, number one, he doesn't have the kind of game that Zverev is capable of you know, I'd say he's he's probably more consistent, you know, but he doesn't have that huge, huge game that could dominate Nadal from the baseline. Yeah. I think he's going to get pushed back quite often, despite him wanting to come in and take the ball early, you know. And I don't see him getting many chances there, not in a final, not here at Roland Garros.
0: Yeah, I think as as we said, he he he's basically trained most of the time at, at the Ref and Nadal Academy. So I'm sure Nadal and Uncle Tony has seen him, his progress, and how he plays, and They've, they've taught him a lot of the stuff that he knows. Um, so they, they know how they can break him down. Uh, I think Rafa will obviously not want to completely embarrass him on court uh, because he's still, you know, he's friends with him. You know, they, they, they train together at times. They yeah. know each other. Um, but I think if Nadal can play even at 80, 90% of his best, foot not hurting him or anything like that, he he should win this in three sets. As one set might go to a tie break or something like that, but I think it it's mo- most likely won't even go to a tie break.
1: Yeah, and Rude would have to serve very well, I think, to you know, have any chance here, you yeah. know, because if you don't serve well against Rafa, that's it. You know, he's not going to give you many opportunities. You've got to take them. And I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, you know, but in my opinion, Rude is. A slightly inferior version of Nadal. You know, he's inferior in every single aspect of the game. You know, he's a fantastic player. He's a he's soon to be a top five player, in my opinion. You know, but he just doesn't have the edge in anything, you know, experience, game, mentality, forehand, backhand, serve, volley. Yeah. You know, Nadal yeah. is slightly better in all of them. Yeah. You know, exactly. so I, I I don't see how he's gonna, you know, Nadal has no weakness on clay, as we know yeah <laughs> so so what do you do so he, he's got to just go for it you know he's got to give it his all he's got to play the match of his life and I don't even think that would be enough Nadal is not gonna throw away a final here against especially not against someone not named Novak Djokovic
0: yeah uh, yeah. yeah I completely, completely agree with you I think the big part of this match is as you said Nadal and and Ruud have similar playing styles in terms of you know the the sort of spin they put on the ball the types of shots they like to take on and stuff like that but when you when you think about shot by shot who is better at each shot it's it's Rafa Rafa has the better forehand Rafa you know by by a mile has the better backhand Nadal has a great serve like on, on his day Nadal's serve is as as good as anyone's serve you know he can hit the spots where he needs I think, to. I
1: think that's a hugely underrated part of his game. Always has yeah. been. You know, people don't give him credit for his serve, but I mean, his serve has got a lot of pop on it. You know, he's, yeah. he's served in the low 130s at times, you know, and uh, he doesn't get credit for that at all. People just say he's a baseliner, heavy spin, you know, runs around the forehand. So that means he has no backhand, but his serve is one of the better ones on tour, in my opinion.
0: Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's been something that as he's gotten older, he's worked more and more on because he knows that. Yep. He can't afford to be playing long rally after long rally after long rally uh, physically, so he needs to be able to win some some cheap points for his serve. Um, so that, that it, it's definitely underrated, as you said. Um, but yeah, you you, got, you you know the volley uh, coming at the net, Nadal miles ahead, miles ahead of most people on the ATP tour. I think Nadal's probably. If I had to, if I had to choose a volleyer to save my life. As a, as a singles player, I would choose Rafa um, just because he's got so much variety at the net. Um, I agree. I
1: agree. And that's another part of his game that's probably even more underrated in his serve. Yeah. You know, I've, it, I've always said that he's got one of the best volleys on tour. I've heard multiple ATP coaches saying that he's got the best volley on tour, you know, and he's won doubles events when he's entered them. Yeah. You know, he's got a doubles gold medal in the olympics you know so this this guy there's nothing he can't do you know he would struggle on the quicker surfaces at times against the big hitters you know but on clay he's airtight man so interesting to see how rude approaches it but I, i don't see him getting many opportunities at all
0: yeah i think it's 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 going to be a situation of nadal breaking down the rude backhand until rude's Hits a short ball and then Nadal will attack pounce on that. I think for most of the match, I think that's going to be the tactic. Um, I think Ruge needs to improve his backhand. It's it's good, it's consistent, but the it can be broken. It can be sort of yeah. It, it, it just it's not as consistent as Nadal, Nadal's backhand. And if if Nadal was a right hander, maybe there'd be a better chance of him to, to win this match. But because of Nadal's forehand being lefty. It, it really hurts him even more on that side
1: agreed definitely agree
0: so yeah that that that's basically our, our picks i think for both the the women's and the men's but um you know if you want andrew let's uh, let's move on to a couple questions that we had through the instagram the first one is a, is a quite interesting one I, I didn't really think about it um but like didn't think about it beforehand but do you think germany should get a a masters event
1: I do. Um, and our last podcast, we were discussing potentially those bigger nations um, <laughs> looking to add a Grand Slam event in there. You know, we're talking about Spain and Germany as two of the yeah. major ones that don't have a slam. So a big country like that, that has all the nice stadiums and in the infrastructure, a tennis nation, you know, Germany, I think certainly should have a master's event. It's pretty yeah. shocking that they don't.
0: But they, they, didn't they used to have the, the sort of year-end finals? um decades ago or something i think so yes yes that that does sound correct but they definitely have the sort of infrastructure or they they could have the infrastructure to have a master's event i think yeah most most european countries have one you know spain has one italy has one france has one um and
1: and, and munich is a major european city you know (laughs) (laughs) top five probably in in most categories you know so pretty shocking there's not one there
0: yeah i think i think it it's always down to, to to the money, obviously, and also the the other tournaments that are throughout the year. You know, we already have nine Masters One Thousand tournaments. It really depends on if they can afford to have a tenth, and whether it is financially viable for them to do that. And um, personally, I wouldn't mind seeing a tenth Masters One Thousand tournament throughout the year. Obviously, it would have to be in a in a, in a very good sort of facility. I don't want to see. The facility of a 250 or a 500 being recycled and turned into a thousand you know when when it's not really up to up to standard because you know you look at these masters 1000 tournaments and you you can tell that the the effort and the investment they put into how the players are sort of treated and you know the facilities that they have around is really important to why they are big tournaments i agree and this probably
1: is going to be an unpopular um, comment you know <laughs> or choice but I've always thought that they should have a Masters 1000 event on grass. You know, um, it's, it's a little mind-blowing that, you know, we've got Wimbledon, perhaps the most prestigious slam in the world, and they're really only, what are they, like a handful of tournaments to prepare yourself for Wimbledon, you know? Yeah. So some, some guys don't even take grass court season seriously, you know, yeah. like some of the clay court guys and the lower rank guys that know they have no chance at all, you know, they just enter for the prize money and, and go around go about their way. You know, but if there was another Masters event on it, you know, grass would be treated as a more serious surface. You yeah, know, definitely. And, I mean, obviously, I don't think the players would go for it. You know, there must be a reason why there isn't. You know, but I really do think that if there's a major on that surface, there really should be some more tournaments and some more big tournaments to prepare yourselves for them.
0: Well, you know, we, we have a few uh, 500 tournaments, you know, like the uh, Queen's Open and... Uh, um. The Halle Open in Germany um yeah you know agreed. If, if their facilities were better and you know they they reach the the, the standards of being a, fa- a 1000 tournament that'd be a great idea because obviously yeah there, there are only a certain amount of points up for grabbing the grass court season and you said the players who don't really have that grass court game they just don't really even bother at times because why are you going to you know push yourself to the limits for a period of one month when you know you're not going to get any points realistically whilst you could be instead preparing for the hardcore season where you have a better chance of, of winning anything um but yeah i think that's that's it i think germany should have one and i think yeah there should be there should be a masters on grass it'd be interesting to see that um munich, munich on grass 2025 i called it so uh, you know t- tournament director andrew yeah he's uh, he's going to be in charge he'll, he'll get everyone tickets don't worry we'll, we'll all be sitting front row we'll be watching i'll get i'll give our one million follower
1: free tickets to that event final yeah, exactly. courtside yeah
0: yeah so just remember guys follow us on instagram because uh andrew, andrew's going to be giving away tickets to uh to, to all the big tournaments nowadays uh <laughs> but yeah uh last question it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one that came in today, just, just after the Nadal-Zverev the, the uh, match. And it's, do you think the, from the performances that Zverev showed against Alcaraz and even in, in the, the sort of two sets today against Nadal, that he's cl- getting closer to winning his, his first slam?
1: Do you want to go first or should I? Uh,
0: yeah, I can go first. I think, I think yeah, it, it showed us, I, I think especially the Alcaraz match, Really showed us that he's not taking anything for granted. He, I think he, he's realised that if he doesn't perform at his best week in week out in these tournaments, there's always going to be someone there for the taking to take to take his place to take the chances that are given to them. Uh, so he doesn't want to fall behind. He doesn't want to be in a situation like you know like a like a Dimitrov, like a Del Potro, like a, like even like a Marin Cilic where. They had the game to win many big tournaments, but when it came down to it, they didn't come in clutch at the important moments. Yeah, I fully agree. And I
1: don't love to use the word disappointing, you know, and using it for Zverev, you know, is a bit unfair because, you know, he's won multiple Masters titles. You know, he's been number three in the world, you know, one of the best players over the last five, six years. Mm. But it's so disappointing to me that he hasn't, won a slam yet and he hasn't like you know transitioned his game into what we all know it could be because when you look at this guy play he has every shot in the book you know other than maybe a volley you know and his volleys are decent you know and in today's game you don't really need it as much as you used to anyway you know but this guy's got an elite serve elite forehand possibly the best backhand on tour you know and it's his his mental side of it is let him down so often you know this is a guy that even with the big three around should definitely have two three f- possibly four slams already you know he it's, it's definitely not good enough for a guy of his talent to have only won one top 10 match ever at a grand slam you know that that is crazy to me mm-hmm. you know and when you see him play like when he's on like he was today at times you know, and like how he was against Alcaraz you know he can take the ball early he can do anything he wants you know he can hit through Nadal he can dominate that match you know he can't sustain it but who can you know but it's, it really blows my mind that he hasn't won a slam, and I hope he figures it out. But we mentioned this on the podcast a while ago as well. You know, like Sitsapas, his clock is ticking. You know, he's got age on his side. You know, and he's not breaking down or anything. He's not, you're not seeing the effects of him getting older. But you know, we've got Alcaraz coming up. We've got Holger coming up. We've got other guys coming up that are just as young. You know we've still got Nadal and Djokovic seemingly at their best. You know they might be around another two or three years more for Djokovic. You know his window is closing. You know and had he won today, I think he would have won the final. Mm-hmm. You know but he's got to do it soon, man. Because can you imagine Holger Al Alcaraz, and those guys with another two years under their belt? You know, <laughs> scary. Yeah. You know so
0: it's got to be soon. I think I think he doesn't want to. He wants to learn from other people's mistakes and take the chances whilst you still can because it gets it gets harder the longer you wait um the longer you you sort of don't give it your best but you know he's shown some great tennis this weekend and he should be proud of himself he should uh, he should definitely focus on, on 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 recovery hopefully he comes back you know sooner rather than later and in great form um it'd be it'd be interesting you know it, it's it's been a while since we've had a different slam winner you know we had we had dominic team in in 2020 but um you know it was it was sort of he was in a situation where he it was that was his what was fourth grand slam final it was like you know at that point he's he's so close and and thankfully he he was able to to win it because i think if he lost it it would have been even worse for him because you know i think andy murray went zero and three in his first grand slam finals and he was able to, to convert on the fourth as well which really set him up nicely for future grand slam finals but you you need to make those grand slam finals to even give yourself a shot at the title i'd, ra- I'd rather be owen free in grand slam finals than never make a grand slam final you know
1: no absolutely 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 and obviously i don't know his situation i don't know his coaching situation in, a, at all but what i think he should do is maybe he should hire a former champion you know a former number one who could help him mm. with the mental side of it you know getting over that hump winning your first title you know i mean a few years ago you know Djokovic, ditched his longtime coach for um Ivanovic. you know federer has been working with lubicic for a while i mean not that lubicic ever won a grand slam you know but he was a top five player for many years yeah. you know nadal's obviously got moya former grand slam champion world number one even Alcaraz has got ferrero you know so i do think i, I again i don't know if Zarav has been speaking to other p- champions i don't i don't know you know but I, I think that would help him you know maybe to hire like a I don't know who would be a he, good pick for his he, coach.
0: He used to he used to have Lendl as his coach, remember? Um, yeah, but they yeah, sort of yeah. a, had a bad falling out. It seemed like I think two strong think
1: personalities.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so. I think I if I think it's hard to coach Zverev in terms of you know being honest and giving your honest opinion because he's got so much. He's got such a network around him of his family, um, yeah. who are very involved in every decision he makes on and off the court. So it's all, I think as a, as a coach, it's always hard to be a big personality as a coach because, you, you know, the family's always going to have their opinion. They're always going to think yeah. they're right and, you know, know what's best for their brother, their child, and, and stuff like that. Um, so we saw it didn't work out with Lendl. Maybe he should find, a, a you know, a superstar coach. But then, you know, you can also say Nadal won X amount of slams without a superstar coach. Uh it, it the, Agreed. The, super, the superstar coaches are made f- from coaches who weren't superstars so it's it's always hard to say that they should hire someone to to get them over the hump but it, it can work and it also can go the other way where you know the superstar coach doesn't really care at that point because they've they've achieved so much themselves already that it doesn't their cv doesn't really matter if it changes a lot
1: No, agreed. And I don't necessarily mean as a coach, you know, I mean, it could just be as a mentor, you know, someone Mm -hmm. to be there and someone to speak to, you know, and, and I agree with your point, you know, Nadal won all these titles without a superstar coach, you know, his, his uncle was pretty much unknown until he won the first few, you know, but I I just mean from Zverev's point of view and from what's happened to him so far, you know, he's come close so many times and fallen short, you know, Mm -hmm. he's looked like the best player in the world multiple times, and then he's looked terrible, you know, countless others. You know, so clearly something is going on with him. I don't know what it is, but you know, he he just needs that you know, little sharpness and that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, that hunger, that yeah. that that Djokovic and Nadal's that they have. You know, and maybe he could get get it from someone else. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the candidates are. You know, but I mean, he should be speaking to like the Pete Sampras's, the agassiz like those kind of guys. You 100%. know, I don't know. Yeah, who's a German guy he could he could get in this corner, former, former champion.
0: Oh, well, you, you could, you could have said uh, Boris Becker, but he's in prison right now. So. Uh, true. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, in, maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> <we> can... <laughs> yeah. I think, I think no, uh, exactly, Boris, you know, Boris and, is a bit busy right now. So, uh...
1: but that's a good example, you know, like all, all jokes aside about him being in jail, you know I mean? Boris was the like around with Agus Sampras and Sampras and other top players. So he found it difficult to kind of break through you know, he won a couple slams here and there, you know, but he was in a similar situation because imagine Federer and Nadal Djokovic didn't exist. You know, Zverev would have been one of those guys to have dominated. Easy to say that now, you know, but I don't know. He, he needs something. He needs the extra edge and who better to get it from than someone who's gone through it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, 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 it definitely helps, you know, having that experienced hand and voice with you um because you that they they've, they've had great successes and they've also had you know failures and no you can't tell me there's been a tennis player who hasn't failed at, at something or hasn't had a huge disappointment and and there's lessons Absolutely. to be learned from the success and from the failure um so having someone that can talk you through that really helps um yeah. but yeah i think maybe that, that, maybe he, sorry maybe
1: he can talk rafa into coming in his box once or twice you know after he retires you know rafa <laughs> might have a couple of years left and he seems to be a fan as fan Zverev. you know he's always very complimentary of him when he speaks to him i know he's just a polite guy but you know he seems to think
0: that Zverev is a great player so maybe you never know conspiracy theory <laughs> you never know it's, you know it's gonna be coach rafa nadal on the tour I'm, I'm pretty sure he'll be a coach one day i don't, I don't see him being away from the sports Um, agreed even once he retires so i think coaching will be an avenue for him um yeah so i'll
1: I'll call it so nadal will coach Sverev at the munich grass court masters 1000 in 2025 oh okay all right. okay. You can put your $10 on, You can put your
0: $10 on that one You might be remember, a billionaire Remember Andrew is inviting all of us To that tournament uh, We're all going to be in a nice uh, seated area With uh, with Rafa uh, We're going to be watching Zverev play Win the tournament obviously And we all get a cut of the prize money that, that's, the, that's the deal uh, Absolutely,
1: absolutely, on me
0: <laughs> But yeah, no, uh, that, that, this was a great discussion Andrew I really appreciate, obviously uh, your thoughts and you know everyone on the Instagram and the YouTube you know sending us your questions you know just giving us feedback on on, on the podcast it's been it's been great this is episode four we love we love talking about tennis you know just in general and it's and why not why not just talk about it and have you guys listen to us and you know say oh you've got these guys don't know what they're talking about or oh that's an interesting idea or what, what did you ever think of this you know it's 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 good stuff and it's been a crazy two weeks at Ron and Garros. We've been very happy with how things have gone myself. Obviously as an Adal fan, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm quite, I'm quite chuffed for number 22. Uh, not trying to jinx anything, but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> M- next podcast, I might come back and I might retire from podcasting because I just, <laughs> you know, got it wrong, but I, uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be great final tomorrow with the women's and, uh, and on Sunday with the men, so I'm, I'm very excited, and um, and yeah, thank you guys very much for listening to us, let us know if you have any questions, any thoughts, uh, if you want sort of, you know, any if you want us to talk about anything on the podcast, just message us, we'll, we'll, we'll have a look, and uh, yeah, thank you very much, we'll see you next week, uh, where we'll probably discuss, you know, the winner of the tournament, and then the grass court season coming ahead.
1: Agreed. Just going to echo what Liam said, you know, we're always looking forward to hearing from you guys, you know, especially since the French open is over, you know, we kind of started this podcast discussing the French open. Um, but now that it's about to be over by the time that we come around to the next one, it'll be finished. You know, we're going to be looking for lots of new ideas to discuss, you know, so anything you guys want us to discuss, you know, not only a question, but it could be a, a theme of the discussion throughout the entire podcast, you know, and mm. we're happy to take everything under consideration. Um, Hoping to have some guest speakers um, in the near future. Um, We're working on a few things. So that will be exciting for you guys. And as Liam said, continue reaching out. We appreciate the feedback, the likes, the follows, you know, and see you guys next week.
0: All right. Thanks, guys.
1: Bye.